Paul A. Barra, author of today's story, Maven Murder, has written and published five novels. His latest was West Faroe Island, a finalist for the Silver Falchion. One of his short stories was selected for the award-winning MWA anthology, When a Stranger Comes to Town. He now has a mystery set in 1969 Wyoming, ready to go out on submission. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you in the heart of a mystery. Some episodes are original stories. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. And mystery readers, check out our print and ebooks. The trade paperback and ebook of Move It or Lose It are discounted through June 2023, the end of this season. Speaking of this season, it is season five, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propel mysteries forward. A train was the setting for Agatha Christie's famed Murder on the Orient Express. A riverboat then took center stage on Death on the Nile. Cars have been prominently featured in American crime stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. Then there are the heists, from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode nine, an LCU is the featured vehicle. That is a landing craft utility boat used to transport equipment and troops to shore. This is The Maven Murder by Paul A. Barra. Chapter 1, The Couple Cynthia Deal had three hours and twelve minutes left in her life when she took hold of the forward line to pull it aboard Maven, laughing at the weight of the thick water-soaked rope as it slithered and then slumped with a splash into North Isle Harbor. She managed to drag it through the water to the pebbled iron deck of the cargo boat, George helped her coil it, and the two of them stood breathing hard with their hands on their hips and watched the dark gap between the boat and the pier widen as the old diesel burbled and coughed beneath them in forward gear. Reckon we'll manage to survive without Ethel underfoot for three whole days? George asked. Survive? Shit, Georgie, I'm planning on enjoying the next couple of days without having to clean up after that mangy mud of yours. Cynthia always did that, took a verb out of someone's sentence and used it to emphasize her reply. George had grown used to it over their 40 years of marriage, so he never said anything about it to her. Sometimes, he even went so far as to feed her a word. Well, now, she may be mangy, but she does protect us from harm, at least. Protect, Cynthia said, true to form. There ain't nothing worth stealing in that old house is what protects us. I wish somebody'd come steal that damn dog is what I wish. 
We're still alive, aren't we? He asked, continuing to push her. Alive? You talking about that crumbum who whacked Trudy last month? I'm still hoping that was a one-off thing, but there ain't no point in taking a chance. Anyway, the five people who worry me the most are with us today on this trip. We won't be hearing no more scare stories, I don't think. Not for a while, anyhow. You just have to figure out which one the killer is, he said. One of them was cheating on his wife. I'm thinking that's who stuck a knife in Trudy. Had to be a man alone. Or the wife of one of them, she said. Thoughts of a killer on board silenced the two of them momentarily. It was as if a veil of evil had fallen over them as the mooring lights of the Maven winked out and only the red and green running lights showed up forward. On cue, the engine roared and the old LCU struggled up to her cruising speed. Cynthia and George watched the dark sea spread herself open before the bow wave, its whiteness brilliant in contrast. Neither could see where they were going, but they knew their scheduled departure was 1 a.m., and their scheduled arrival time at the mainland pier was 5 a.m. Cynthia had four hours of darkness to solve the murder of her illegitimate daughter, Trudy. Since his wife was dressed, as usual, in watch cap and peacoat, George couldn't see her in the dark, but he knew she would be clenching her strong fists as she tried to figure out who killed Trudy, a barmaid who carried not a wit for George. Maybe Trudy just didn't like men. Now, Cynthia was a slender woman of 62, 10 years younger than him, with a hard body who still worked in Sammy Valente's warehouse, seizing clams and tagging wire baskets, lifting and moving all day long. He thought to himself that she could have killed Trudy if she'd had reason to do it. She had been known, when aggravated enough, to pick Ethel up bodily and put her out back, none too gently neither. The dog weighed nearly 50 pounds. Cynthia said something then, he couldn't hear it in the wind and diesel noise. He took her arm and they went through the door that opened into what used to be the officer's wardroom when the ship was in service. Now it was a small dining room. They stepped over the watertight frame door and dogged the hatch down behind them. Three men sat around the table that was welded to the deck in the center of the room, playing cards and drinking coffee. Mutt Harrelson looked up from a pair of sixes in his hand. There's a pot on, folks, Mutt said. Help keep you awake for a while. Keep us awake? Smells like that brew will burn hones and tar paper. Aw, oh, it ain't that bad, Mutt said. Put enough sugar in it and it'll sweeten up even you, Cynthia. George didn't think Mutt and Cynthia liked each other much, so he offered an intervention. Deal me in the next hand, boys. Where are the women at? Mutt asked for a three-card draw rather than answer. So his brother, Petey, scrubbed his fingers through his beard and said, They're in the main lounge, solving the world's problems. George thought Petey looked ridiculous with that coarse brown hair running halfway down his chest, but he took a chair and said nothing. Cynthia left them to find the wives. You got enough money to play in this game, George? Mutt asked. As long as you're in the game, he won't need much, his brother answered. Play nice, children, Jasper Crow said. George shuffled the cards by pushing them together on the table, trying to keep out of any bickering. One of these guys probably knifed poor Trudy, and George didn't want to see any of the nastiness from any of them. Of course, they probably thought he was the killer. Everyone on the island knew Trudy didn't like him, especially since she once bitched out loud about how Cynthia 
could have ever married a toothless old tomcat like George. As rude as she was to him, George knew that he'd have slept with Trudy if given the chance. Same was true for the other men in the wardroom. George thought, even Petey, who pretended he didn't like sex no more after his time in Kabul, but who practically drooled over Trudy whenever she smiled at him from behind the stick at Cosmos. Chapter 2, The Wives Cynthia found two dark-haired women slumped in armchairs and another pouring red wine from a gallon jug into a coffee cup on the built-in counter. The standing woman was Margot Harrelson, Mutt's wife. She offered a drink to Cynthia by raising one eyebrow and drew another cup from the lip shelf. What are you looking so grumpy about, Cindy? My man hasslin' you again? Hasslin'? Mutt insulted me, but I'm used to that. What's worrying me is the possibility that the person who killed Trudy is on board this rickety tub, maybe plotting to do another of us before we make it to the mainland. The women all looked at her with their mouths slack. They'd been gossiping about Trudy's death before Cynthia showed up, but how could she know what they were talking about? The door to the lounge had been closed, although it looked as a flimsy-looking interior door made of peeling wood. Was she listening to them from the outside? Margot sneered. You've been listening to our conversation, girl? Listening? I ain't had to listen, Cynthia said. I know what you've been talking about because I set it all up. I reserved the maven for this here wedding trip. I invited the six primary suspects. Well, seven counting George. I figured with all the possible murderers in one enclosed spot for an ocean voyage and no way to get off, we could solve this mystery once and for all. Her revelation silenced the room. The women even stopped drinking their cups of wine as they goggled at their friend. Estrella Harrison, Petey's wife, broke the silence by clearing her throat delicately and speaking in her soft and sibilant Portuguese accent. Who do you mean by we, Senora Deal? Cynthia lifted her chip, chin. Me and the captain of this boat, ship, whatever it is. You may recall that he's a commissioned constable at the Jonesport Police Department, sort of their seagoing cop. Not that he has much to do with it most of the time, but this, er, venture appealed to him. Do you think the murderer of Miss Trudy will reveal himself then, while we were on the boat this morning? Estrella asked. Or herself, Cynthia said. We ain't discounted none of you. All of your marriages must be some better, now poor, now poor Trudy, now that poor Trudy's gone and her husband's eyes are back in their sockets. But don't go confessing you stuck her just now. We ain't relying on a revolution, revelation. We got a plan. Well, Cynthia plopped down on the cracked leather sofa and sipped her wine. It was the first time in her life she had wine for breakfast. The other women in the room looked at her. Did they really think she was going to tell them her plan? Estrella got up and left them, probably going to tell her husband what she had learned. They all had hours left on this journey, more than enough time for her plan to unfold. Margot remained standing, hadn't even glanced at Petey's wife leaving. Her eyes looked unfocused. The other woman, Diana Crow, wife of Jasper Crow, threw the remains of her wine down her gullet and banged her cup on the coffee table in front of her, startling Cynthia and Margot. 
What kind of shit are you trying to pull, Cynthia? Diana snapped. Maybe you're the killer and you kind of camped it into your so-called plan, sort of like a misdirection play out at Whittier Field. Diana was a football fan, mostly because her husband Jasper had been quarterback for the polar bear some ten years ago. The couple still went to Bowdoin College home games, regardless of the weather. Each of them was a suspect in Trudy's murder because of that kind of fanaticism. They thought football was more important than family. Cynthia hated that. She hated it because Trudy was Cynthia's child, the result of a liaison 25 years ago. No one but George and Trudy knew that fact. Trudy also knew that George would not accept her into the family, so Trudy was raised in foster homes. The Crow couple also had opportunity. Jasper Crow was CFO of Big Rock Fisheries and managed the factory during the second shift, 3 p.m. to 11. He was the suit responsible for the no women rule on the packing floor during the second shift. Probably thought women ought to be home in bed by midnight waiting to surface their husbands, who were in any mood after a night's work and a few beers afterwards. Cynthia reckoned that Trudy's killer likely worked that shift because the victim had been accosted just after midnight as she walked to her car in the parking lot of Cosmos. All the customers of the bar that night were factory employees who regularly enlivened the final hour of the joint's operation on their way home at 11 o'clock, at least according to the owner. The cops weren't entirely sure of all the names of those customers because typically Trudy and the other bartender were rushed everyone wanting a couple or three drinks before last call. Nobody remembered any stranger in Cosmos, and it was much too cold that February night for anybody to be waiting outside. Trudy would have asked the owner to escort her if she'd seen an unknown car in the lot once the place shut down. She might have been a decorative barmaid, but she was cautious around the men who'd been drinking. Misdirection, Cynthia asked. I don't think so. You can count me with the suspects if you like, that's fair enough. Somebody on Maven right this minute knifed poor Trudy, is all I'm saying. We'll know a bit more in time. Diana Crow sniffed in dismissal of the other women and held out her cup to Margot Harrelson for more wine. Chapter 3 The Captain Up on the bridge, it was cold and quiet. Kurt Knudsen could feel the rumbling of the engine below his feet, rather than hear it, and could tell it was running smoothly. So he continued the conversation with his mate, Ivan Skyan of the fishing family in Baja, California. Well, son of a fisherman. Ivan was familiar with boats, but not with, Mar with Maine weather. He was bundled so heavily against the early March morning that he looked thick and cumbersome, while in reality he was slender and agile. Knudsen couldn't imagine what Ivan thought of this voyage they were on now. Traditionally, but not this time, when Maven was due to sail to the mainland and back within a few days, Knudsen would email the island postressmiss a week or so ahead and let her know. That lady would start a phone tree and anyone wanting to travel round trip would simply show up at the dock in town. Since a few passengers didn't cost Knudsen anything extra and didn't change his cargo schedule, he didn't charge them for the trip. Sailing to Jonesport was longer than flying, but a lot cheaper. Maven passengers could bring with them anything they could carry. 
This time, it seemed to Ivan, they carried a lot of fear and suspicion. According to Cynthia Deal, who sent out the sailing invitations for this trip to a, a wedding of a former islander, one of them was a killer. One, I know, is not the killer, Knudsen said, but he did not elaborate. He knew Estrella Harrison didn't kill Trudy because Petey's wife was beneath him at the time of the murder, her bedroom eyes closed in ecstasy and her breath coming in short, vocal bursts. Since her husband was inattentive to his lovely wife, Knudsen could not imagine Pete stalking, assaulting, and killing the coarser barmaid Trudy er, either. What would have been his motivation? Petey did have a bad case of PTSD, though, and the guy like that could do anything in a fit of rage. You think Trudy raped Capitan? Ivan asked. She was not actually raped, Knudsen said, but her clothes had been uh, disturbed. You know what I mean, Ivan? Rumpled. He made gestures with his hands indicating that the victim's skirt had been twisted and her meager blouse wrinkled. Cosmo Kibitzer, owner of the bar where Trudy worked, reported to the police that she told him she was going out after work that night and had changed to fresh clothes. So, an hombre then, Ivan said? Knudsen shook his head. Not necessarily. The state of her clothing could have been caused by grappling with another woman, like a fight. Trudy was a young, fit woman, though, so it would have taken a strong woman to do her in, you know? Ivan said that he did, but the captain was unsure of how much his mate comprehended. His English was good and getting better every day, but it was a second language. Their conversation was interrupted by the pilot house door banging open and Cynthia striding in. Ivan bowed slightly to her and went below decks to check the engine oil pressure. His grasp of the American language may be incomplete, Knudsen thought, but his understanding of his place in the world now that he, that he now inhabited, well, that was excellent. He knew the captain and the woman called Cynthia wanted to discuss their plan for outing the killer. As Ivan went through the open door, the captain nodded at it without taking his hands from the wheel. Cynthia turned back and closed it. She had a look about her of excitement, as if she had something important to say. He waited. Diana Crow is getting a little uppity, Cynthia said, like she does when she's nervous, or worried, and she's drinking a good bit so early in the morning. Knudsen shrugged. Maybe it's the end of the day for her, rather than the beginning. And, kind of a late end, ain't it? It's almost 3 a.m. by now. Well, he noted, Jasper does work at night. I guess, she said, seeing his point. He's always in Cosmos after work, too. They even got a little table in back, him and his assistant managers. Knudsen could see Cynthia pull her mind back to the issue at hand. You could be correct there, Skipper. She's still looking suspicious to me. She noticed the way the men looked at Trudy, her fancy-ass husband included. Plus, she's been eyeing those knives you keep in your lounge there. Hmm, that's something, he agreed. I use a couple of them for cleaning fish I catch off of the fantail when I'm waiting for a vendor. That bear's watching. Bears? Shit, man, Diane and Jasper are sharks, if you ask me. They both hated Trudy because she wouldn't kowtow to them. Well, Knudsen had no answer for that. The plan Cynthia created to winnow down the murder suspects involved using personality traits of men who worked the second shift at the fish processing plant and some of their wives who had no obligations that would keep them from joining the drinkers after working hours at Cosmo's place. 
That meant no children at home, adequate transportation, and at least some disposable income. The men suspects were Petey, a mental case since he returned from Afghanistan. He was becoming increasingly strange. His brother Mutt, a secretive and handsome man who boldly looked at women other than his wife and tended to ignore people when he felt like it. And Jasper, a, mi a misogynist who thought he was a better person than his employees because of his college degree and management position in the Fishery Corporation. Suspect wives included Margot Harrelson, a bitter backbiter who probably knew her husband Mutt was an adulterous pig and Trudy was one of his sows. And Diana, an elitist who disparaged women she thought as lesser in social status to her and Jasper. Both women could see the barmaid Trudy as a threat to their marriage. Cynthia worked diligently and had her five suspects in mind in time for Kurt to welcome them aboard the Maven for this early morning voyage. Now she seemed prepared to call the prospects she thought acted like possible killers. The Jonesport Sheriff had uncovered little in the way of clues to the murder when he investigated Trudy's death. A few dark fibers of the kind that might have come from a sweater, but nearly every man and most women on the island wore a sweater in the winter. There was no DNA on Trudy's corpse. The murder weapon was never found. Cynthia was too nervy to wait through much of a silence, so she left the bridge, saying as she went that she was going to root around a little. The captain hoped she didn't dig up more than she expected. If the actual murderer was on board Maven that morning, he or she could be concerned with Cynthia's probing, and that concern could precipitate a reaction, a violent one, especially if the feisty Cynthia confronted the killer. Knudsen rolled her shoulders and turned and locked the door behind him. Chapter 4, The Men Petey Harrelson couldn't help but notice the looks his brother and Jasper gave Estrella when she poked her head in the door and asked him if he would come out on the deck for a minute. She was an attractive woman, slow-eyed and svelte, slim of hip and long of leg, extruding sensuality even in foul-weather gear. The cold air had given her complexion a robust color. Petey appreciated her beauty, and told her often how pretty she was. But since returning from a stench of terror and desperation that permeated Kabul Airport at the end of August in 2021, he found he no longer had any interest in physical pleasures. The hunger had gone, he told her. He grew an ugly beard to make himself less attractive. He left the army after 12 years of service and signed on with the fishery in the gutting room. His wife never left him, but she should have. He was a wounded and fragile man after his fighting days were done. Estrella cared for him as he became increasingly remote for her, from her. Petey had evidenced some of the violence he must have learned in the army, but he usually managed to control it if Estrella treated him like a needy child. Petey's, increasingly Petey's increasing separation from other people was worrisome. His brother Mutt was his only friend, and Kurt Knudsen had become Estrella's friend her hungry friend. On the maven's open deck, in the cold darkness, with the breeze created by the boat's forward movement added to the discomfort the women felt, Petey seemed content wearing only his flannel shirt as they strolled forward. 
After peering at him with sad eyes, Estrella spoke loudly in his ear. I think George Deal killed Trudy. Why would you say that, Stell? He's an old man. Not too old, and Cynthia's trying to, um, deflect attention from him, I think. She is looking at Margot as if she or Mutt could take a knife and kill someone else. You must be careful. Okay, he said. I'll talk to my brother, too. When Petey came back to the card table, Jasper Crow played with a chip, his fingers rolling it quickly, nervously. Your little Latina got a problem we should know about, Petey? The bearded Harrison hesitated, unsure how to handle the tension that seemed to have crept into the little room while he was out talking to his wife. His brother looked at him with worry in his eyes, his black sweater and watch cap accenting his pallid skin. George Deal was poised to jump out of his chair, his limbs taut. Jasper's right leg bounced slightly as he moved the betting chip. Oh, it seems Cynthia's been eyeballing some knives Kirk keeps in the lounge. She's afraid one of us is going to use them, Petey said. The men looked at George, their cards forgotten. They knew his wife had planned this trip. She was hoping to flush out the person who killed her friend Trudy a month ago. Now a certain sense of danger had entered the little room. Was one of the men present the murderer? More importantly, would he murder again? You know Cynthia, fellas, George said. She does her own thing. I don't know what she's up to, I swear. He scratched at the white hair under his cap and tried to smile. Didn't quite come off. Jasper Crow looked at the other three men. Look here, fellas. The simple solution is for us to stay together. That way we'll be safe. And we can keep an eye on each other. There can't be any more than a couple hours left before we make the mainland. The others nodded. Then the lights went out. Nutsuk called down the voice tube to the engine room when the ship's generator quiet suddenly quit. Yvonne didn't answer. Since the ship's radar had switched to its battery, the captain figured he could make it to Jonesport without the generator back online. If worse came to worse, Mava could lay offshore until the sun came up. It was less certain how the passengers would fare in the impenetrable blackness of the ship's interior and along her external passages. The moon had already set. The stars were hidden under some pre-dawn cloud cover. What mayhem might he find when the lights came back on? Chairs scraped against the floor. Meanwhile, as men moved back from the table in the dining room, George Deal screeched as someone brushed against him. Don't touch me! Relax, old man. I can't see any better than you can. George couldn't tell who spoke. The iron surfaces surrounding them in the room hardened their voices so each sounded similar to the others. He could hear men breathing, then a squawk as a seal of the watertight door was breached. Cold air rushed in, but the night outside was black too and he could see nothing. The men all had rubber-soled shoes on or boots, so George couldn't tell if any of them left the dining room. He backed up slowly until his shoulders touched the bulkhead. Then he stood against it without moving or talking. Other bodies were moving around. He could sense them. Then he couldn't. After 10 minutes of standing still and alone, George felt cold enough so he realized he couldn't remain motionless much longer. Without the generator going, the heaters pushed out no warm air. His tooth plates rattled against each other, and his right trapezius trembled. The door to the room had been left open. Was he the only one in the room? Anyone here? George asked. 
No one answered. George moved slowly toward the door opening, his hand stretched out in front of his face. He sang out as he walked, Hello? Anyone here? He was alone and not liking it. He wondered where the other men had gotten to. They had agreed to stay together and protect each other. When his hands felt the night air blowing into an empty space where the door should have been, the toe of his right shoe felt the watertight lip of the door, so he could step over it and be outside. Did he want to be out on deck? Was it safe? Moaning softly, George stepped up and out. Almost immediately, a soft object pushed into him. He moaned more loudly. The object spoke in a gargled voice. George? George, is that you? Cynthia? George, help me. Her cry was almost a whisper. Her hand slid down the front of him. He reached out automatically to hold her from falling. His left hand went under her arm. The right grasped her coarse coat. It was wet, sticky, heavy. He tried to rearrange his grip, and then she fell suddenly, taking her husband with her. Landing on his knees, he ignored the pain and tried to reestablish communications with his wife. She didn't answer. She didn't move. Chapter 5, The Body Yvonne, the ship's mate, had to pass by the open door to the dining room on his way back to the engine room, where he made a baffling discovery he had to tell the captain about. He was carrying his flashlight. When he saw George and Cynthia on the deck, he ran to the bridge. Kurt Knudsen looked shocked by what the mate had seen, both in the engine room and out on deck. He set the radar alarm and went back down. By the time the captain and his mate got to the dining room entrance, Cynthia Deal had extinguished, had bled out. George was on his knees in a pool of her blood, babbling and incoherent. Yvonne came up behind Kurt. He spoke in a thin voice. Generator going, Capitan. Soon lights. Yvonne looked down at the bloody remains of the woman Cynthia and stepped back into the darkness. Knudsen waited while the generator got up to speed. As soon as the lights came back on in the dining room, he told his mate to guard the body while he called in the incident. Just watch here, Yvonne. Don't do anything. Don't touch anything. Well, back on the bridge, the captain saw he had two bars on his mobile phone, so he called 911 on it instead of using the ship-to-shore radio. This is Constable Kurt Knudsen from North Island. I want to report a murder. What is your location, Constable? The dispatcher asked. I'm approximately 15 miles east-southeast of Sawyer's Cove Marina on the coastal freighter Maven. I expect to dock as soon as it's light enough. The sheriff deputies will meet you, she said. Please do not touch anything at the crime scene. The dispatcher wanted to pass on more advice and ask more questions, but Knudsen cut her off. He had a killer loose on his vessel, and he needed to protect his remaining passengers. First, he needed to get back to where his mate was standing guard over a corpse. Yvonne stood in the shadow of the dining room lights. Knudsen saw that George was slumped against the door, shivering and moaning. Cynthia's body was still oozing blood from the middle of her chest. She gripped a filleting knife, one of Izzy thought, in her right hand. There was a sheen of blood. On, there was a sheen of blood stain on the blade. 
As he went to a locker for a blanket to offer George some comfort, Knudsen wondered if she had stabbed herself. Yvonne wondered who had thrown the switch that shut the generator. The heavy switch was in a cage, not likely to be activated by mistake. No one was supposed to be in the engine room where the generator was housed except him or the captain. The captain asked him, You see anybody coming or going from the direction of the engine room, Yvonne? I see no one, Yvonne said. Okay, go back to the bridge and lock the door. Don't open it for anyone but me. Where you go? I'm checking the living spaces to see what I can find. He found five passengers in the lounge, including his friend Estrella. Knudsen nodded to her and addressed them all. He told them about Cynthia and George, asked them to stay together in the room until after they had docked, and to answer any questions the sheriff's detectives would have for them. He had a question of his own. Does anyone know where Mutt has gotten to? Holy shit, Kurt, Mutt's wife Margot said. You haven't seen him? He ain't made it here yet. Her tone was frantic. It eventuated that no one would admit to having seen him much since the generator went down. Knudsen instructed the crowd not to leave the open room and went topside to maneuver his ship into port. The gray dawn sky gave off enough light for him to see as the maven motored slowly into Chandler Bay and up to Sawyer's Cove. A half dozen sheriff's deputies and a forensic van waited for her on the main pier. They tied up the wrinkled and battered hull with uniformed deputies crawled out of their beds to duty. Two detectives showed up in a playing car and immediately began interviewing all of the maiden, maven's occupants, one by one, in the captain's cabin. More deputies searched the cabins of the ships. Murder was a rare happenstance on the northern coast of Maine, much closer to Canada than to the neighboring New Hampshire, so this was an all-hands effort for the Washington County Sheriff's Office. All right, Jack, we made it to the deliberation. Yay. Sorry about that. I got a tickle in my throat a few times there. All right. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm going to need help. Okay. <laughs> so, well, instead of solving Trudy's murder, Cynthia joined the mystery. Our th uh -huh. Author Paul Barra is challenging us to solve both murders. So here are the suspects in the order of appearance to help Constable Kirk Knudsen solve the crime. So he is not a candidate. Okay, it ain't Kurt. <laughs> it ain't Kurt. Good. Okay. Mutt Harrelson, reported to be secretive and attracted to women beyond the missus. He mm -hmm. was probably uh, rebuffed by the victim, Trudy. Okay. okay. So I'm going to pretend like I knew what rebuffed means. But for all of the listeners who just heard you say a big word. Shot down. <laughs> denied. Shot down. Yes, because, of course, it was the listeners who need that yep. explained, not, not Jack. Not good old me. Okay. Anyway, keep going. So, Petey Harrelson, his brother, is a vet struggling with life since returning from Afghanistan. He suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, and he has been known to be violent. So, it's not him. Too obvious. You gotta game it, Mom. Come on. <laughs> Next is him. Jasper Crow, right. an arrogant prick who keeps women and everyone else in their places. Trudy did not respect him. Okay. Okay. Okay, now we go to the wives. Mm -hmm. Margot Harrelson, Mutt's wife is a poison pill who, who knew that her man was a lecher and that his lust for Trudy was obvious to her. Well, why is the carpet wet, Margot? I don't know, Todd. <laughs> Am I allowed to quote that? I'm going to have to cut that out. <laughs> anyway, keep going. It could be Margot. 
could be Margot. Estrella Harrelson, that's Petey's wife, and Constable Knutson's lover. She's the only one with an airtight alibi. So she was with Knutson at the time that Trudy died. Okay. So we have two people who it's not. It's not the Constable Kurt. It ain't and Constable it is Kurt. not his lover, Estrella. It ain't it ain't Estella. Ain't Estrella. Ain't astronomical. All right. Diana Crow, she's arrogant, just like her husband, and felt it her duty to keep lesser women in their place. Wow, it sounds like it could be her. What a bitch. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Okay, so those are our characters. Those are our okay. cast. Okay, give me the clues. Okay, so here's what we know about Trudy's murder. All right. Um, the bartender left work after her shift, uh, having changed out of her clothes to go out. Uh-huh. She was found murdered the next morning, and her clothes were dis- disheveled. They were a mess, but she was not raped. Okay, okay. The bar was filled only with locals working second shift at the fish cannery, mm-hmm. and the small amounts of dark cloth were found on her, which were not distinguishing. Okay. So here's what we know about Cynthia's murder. Everyone knew Cynthia suspected Trudy's murderer was among them and that she had a plan for revealing the truth, even though I don't think she really had a plan. <laughs> Did she know who it was? Why? Well, if she did, she didn't tell us that she did. Okay. Okay. Well, she probably did then. Let's be honest okay. with ourselves. The generator did not go out on its own, but it was turned off. All right. Cynthia was killed with a filleting knife, uh, likely that belonged to the constable captain. Mm-hmm. Cynthia held the filleting knife in her right hand. We know that George and Estrella did not kill Cynthia. Okay. Because George, well, just from the way it was written, we know that he was in the dining room. But George could have killed Trudy. Yes, George could have killed Trudy. Okay. Um, nobody saw Mutt leave or knows where he's at. All right. Okay. Now, which one's the guy again who doesn't like the sex? That is Petey the war vet. Okay. I'm feeling Petey. It feels too obvious, but I'm feeling... Maybe that's why. It, hmm. I guess think about it. He's not into that stuff, so he killed a girl, had every opportunity. Okay, this sounds wrong when I say it out loud. Kay. Had every opportunity to rape her, but didn't. Because but didn't. he's just not interested. Or there's something more going on. Maybe the person hated that person so much that they didn't even feel anything like that, so there was no point. He said, it just sounds like a thing they wanted to do. Or if it was a woman, you know, that's, well, I mean, they still could have, but I mean. So she was stabbed. Right, Trudy she was, was stabbed. stabbed. Trudy was Trudy was stabbed. They were both stabbed. Do women generally stab? Isn't poisoning, or well, is that is that just really something that comes out of stories? That's something that comes out of stories. I mean, there is the whole thing where, when it comes to suicide attempts, women are more likely to use less lethal for not like men are more likely to use guns, and women are more likely to overdose. So theirs mm. is less guaranteed. Men are more likely to use more violent tendencies, or women are more peaceful. In how they want to go, hmm. um, but again, that. So if Trudy had been poisoned, it might be more worth pointing to a female. Oh yeah, but also it's a story, and the author probably didn't care about social rules. I don't know. <laughs> that's pa- that's my Paul can Paul can comment in one of the chats. Did you care about social rules, Paul? <laughs> I think I think it could easily be a woman. Um, I don't. I'm hesitant to think it's the uh, the pretentious woman. Because she sounds like the kind of girl who wouldn't want to get her hands dirty. So if it was like a poisoning, I could see her. Mm. But going up and stabbing two people seems a little B 
beyond her means and methods. And that's a good point. It seems like if it was her, she would have. But once again, if this was real life, I feel like I would believe that. But it's a story. He could literally do whatever he wants to do, the author. He can make whatever. They could be a unicorn running around with a bloody horn somewhere. And the horn happened to be. What was uh, that story you wrote about the unicorn farting out? Something. I don't something. remember. Something about Taco Bell and the Pentagon. Yes, Taco Bell and the Pentagon. I, I had a theory um, back in the day. Uh, I, I photoshopped a picture of. I didn't really Photoshop. I copy and pasted a picture of a unicorn inside of a Taco Bell. I pointed out the fact that there's a Taco Bell inside of the Pentagon. And then if you've ever heard of a product called the Squatty Potty, there is... I don't even remember what the point of the conspiracy theory is. Oh, that the Pentagon had unicorns. That the Pentagon was hiding unicorns from the rest of the world. Something about the Squatty Potty. I just wanted to use that commercial because I thought it was funny. And so somehow I convinced my like seventh grade class. I didn't actually convince them. But I'd, I'd put on a presentation saying, this is really off topic. All right. <laughs> who do we think killed him? So your leading guess is Petey, the vet. It doesn't feel like it should be Petey, but I'm going with Petey. But okay. I don't, I don't want to go with Petey. Where's Mutt? Mutt's been missing, right? Um, or is it someone else? Mutt is missing. Hold on. Let me back I want to say it was here. Mutt, but I do not remember if that's Yeah, Mutt is missing. All right. Mutt's missing. So Mutt is secretive and attracted to all women. So he's probably off somewhere banging some chick. I don't think it's him. Because when someone's missing, they're either dead or if it's a TV show and it's really obvious and it's them. But this is a mystery, a book. This matters. So it can't be him. Because if it was a TV show, I, I feel like it could be him. Or if it was like Scooby-Doo, <laughs> where's the guy? I don't know. He must be. We have to set a trap for him. Now, yeah, but he'd have a costume on then. Uh, that is true. Maybe much secretly like someone else. That was the thing about Scooby-Doo is they'd have it. Somehow you'd have a man with a mask on dressed like a completely different person. Yeah. Have you ever put a mask on and flat out not looked like you? That's some good prosthetics. That's I don't think they had in Scooby-Doo era back in the 80s and 90s whenever they were They probably did, stuff. but then it probably would have killed somebody because it was probably lead-based paint or something. Exactly. Mercury. All right. So Shall I we? think I'm going with... Margot's not the pretentious one, right? Yes. Well, Margot Margo is, is Mutt's one. wife. No, she's just... Margot is the poison pill who knew her man was a lecher, and his lust for Trudy was obvious to her. Everyone feels like it's obvious. I, that, that's why it's too good. Everyone has such a good motive. I'm, I think I'm going to go with Todd and Margot. Um, if you okay. don't get that, it's from Christmas Vacation. I do, yeah. Um, listeners. Anyway... I'm going to go with Margot. I'm prepared to be wrong. Uh, I will see you on the other side. Okay. Chapter 6, The Conclusion. It was almost lunchtime when Sheriff's Detective Harry St. Louis assembled all law enforcement officers involved in the Maven case to outline the facts of the murder. The team had enough forensic evidence to conclude that Cynthia Deal, age 62, had bled out from a puncture wound that entered her carotid ca cavity and nicked her heart. The time of death was approximately 5.13 in the morning of March 3rd. There were no known witnesses to the crime. Her husband, George Deal, age 72, had some of her blood on his knees and his hands. He was admitted to Jonesport General, suffering from 
atrial fibrillation and the after effects of hypothermia. A guard was posted outside of his room. The weapon that dealt Mrs. Deal was a long thin blade, probably a knife used to fillet fish, said Detective St. Louis. A knife like that is missing from the rack in the ship's lounge. The knife found in the Vic's hand is also a filleting knife, but here's the thing. The blood on the knife she was toting is not her blood. We don't know whose blood it is yet. The murder weapon has not been found. Kurt Knudsen wanted to speak out and talk again to Yvonne about the generator that had been turned off, causing the blackout that facilitated the stabbing death of Cynthia Deal. You say you didn't see anyone in the vicinity of the generator when the lights went out? Did you look in the fuel locker? You know, the room where we store the cans of diesel? The mate's face lost color and the tip of his tongue flitted in and out like a snake smelling prey. The only time Kurt had noticed signs of nervousness in the man. Yvonne had traveled across a desert to get to the U.S., had experienced prejudicial treatment and dangerous, dirty shipboard employment before landing with Knudsen, and must have endured horrors. Yet, he seemed afraid only now. You didn't look in the fuel locker, Yvonne. The mate shook his head slowly. Something in there, Capitan. Something or somebody. After a pause, Yvonne closed his eyes and said in a hollow voice, Maybe El Charo Negro, a Mexican ghost in black clothes. Reluctant to draw out more terror by interrogating the man further, the captain asked two deputies to search one particular locker in the balls of the ship. They found Mud Harrelson hiding in the locker, sitting on a 55-gallon drum against the wall, arms outstretched and a thin line of blood dripping from his left sleeve. His mouth was open in a ghastly smile. His right hand grasped a filleting knife. He did not resist when they arrested him. A week later, Kurt Knudsen lay in bed with Mutt's sister-in-law discussing the details of the murder on Maven. So the blood on Cynthia's knife matches the DNA of Mutt, right? Estrella asked, looking up at him. Does that mean she stabbed Mutt? Probably, Knudsen said. Doesn't mean Cynthia attacked him, but she did cut him, I believe. And her blood was on his sweater. But how do we know who really started it, though? Cynthia is dead and Mutt is not talking. Good tactic, he said. But once the sheriff's team had Mutt as the main suspect, guilty of killing at least one woman, they focused on him for Trudy, too. Besides Cynthia's own blood, they found trace evidence on her clothes that matches his clothes. So they got him for Cynthia's murder, at least. She must have confronted him about wanting Trudy, who would not sleep with a married man. It wouldn't be the first time sexual frustration and alcohol turned a man violent. Can they convict my brother-in-law of Trudy's murder too, do you think? Knudsen shrugged. Not if he keeps his mouth shut. His lawyer would tell him to plead murder too or self-defense in Cynthia's death. The cops can place him in Cosmos when Trudy was killed. Maybe they can wrangle a confession out of him. No, nobody knows, and everybody on North Isle now knows that Mutt killed Cynthia and Trudy both. Ah, well, if the men had only stayed together, she said, when those lights went out, as Jasper suggested to them, we would never know of the killer of Trudy. And, Nutsen said, Cynthia would still be alive. 
The two were silent after that for a few minutes before Estrella turned her naked body toward him and asked, I'm hungry. Are you ready to eat? I'm ready, he said. Is it my turn? The end. So there you have it, Jack. Mutt did it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So. So Mutt did it. Mutt did it. It sounds like he killed Trudy because Trudy wouldn't sleep with him. So he was drunk and angry and apparently carrying a knife. Apparently. Just casually has his fish filet. Yeah. There's like McDonald's around. Anyway. I don't think Cynthia really knew who did it. Like she talked a big game about having a plan. Yeah. I mean, how many times do we get people who like think they know who the killer is and what do they do? They go talk to the killer without telling anybody. Let me tell you something. If you and your dumbass decides to go up to a guy you think is capable of murdering someone, you're like, hey, I think you murdered someone. Um, Turn yourself in or something. I don't know. What's their plan? <laughs> to die. To, to die, die in the next scene. <laughs> I want you to turn yourself in now that I'm talking to you alone in a closet where nobody <laughs> even knows that I'm here talking to you. I didn't tell anybody. That I think it's you. It's just us alone. <laughs> Dumbass, you deserve to die. All right? <laughs> that is that is such an overused trope, isn't it? That and it's also a thing no one in real life would ever do. Why? Because you have a sense of fear. Fear keeps you alive, man. Fear Unless does just... keep you alive. There is a yeah. point to fear. Just like there's a point to stress. Let me tell you. If I ever met a guy who just like strangled a dog, I wouldn't go up to him. Much less a person. You know? Not alone. Not be like, hey, man, I think you killed my dog. Why'd you do that? You call the police, motherfucker. <laughs> you do not just go up to him and be like, anyway, hope you don't do that to my cat next. No. So you don't approve of Cynthia's methods? I don't approve of her stupidity. She deserved to die. <laughs> That's harsh. That's harsh. She didn't deserve to die, but she deserved to get killed. Okay. There we go. In a fictional way. In a fictional way. This person who's not real. I sometimes feel bad because sometimes I think about these stories and how I hate on these characters and think about the fact that the author probably named these characters after people they know. So it's just like, yeah, I'm just like shitting on Paul's like hairdresser or something like that. (laughs) Paul probably doesn't have a hairdresser, but I don't know. Paul's coworker. I'm just like, fuck you, Cynthia, dumbass. (laughs) And Paul's like, I swear I didn't know he'd say that. I'm, uh, so, Cynthia, if you're out there, I'm sorry. Paul did not tell me to say any of this stuff. Um, <laughs> the real Cynthia, the who's real not Cynthia. a dumbass, and who would call the cops yeah. and not confront somebody That's... in the... <laughs> but who still who still turned off the generator? Do you think Mutt did that? I guess Mutt did it. It must have... It didn't explain that. No. Um, it said it turned off, and it didn't shut off on its own. Maybe Cynthia did it. Maybe that was part of Cynthia's dumbass plan. Could be, because she didn't tell us what her dumbass plan was. She I just mean, claimed that she had one. Did Cynthia... Cynthia attacked him first. Well, I, we don't Theoretically. know. Theoretically. They both had knives. They both went into a knife fight with a knife. So they both had their own knife? I thought... No, they both took it from... Each other. So it was one knife. No. Wait. There was a set of knives in okay. the lounge... For flaying. So they belonged to Kurt. So they both had their own knife. But they, yeah, so there was That's two knives. Anyway. So they both had a knife in, wait. Okay, yes, they both had a knife in their hand. So so when Trudy, or when um, Cynthia died, she had a flaying knife in her right hand. And that was the one that she attacked Mutt with. Yes, because it was. Mutt had the one that he attacked Cynthia yeah, with. Yeah, so at first it said that the murder weapon wasn't found, but in the end it was because it was in Mutt's hand when they found him. The way they found Mutt, 
it's just terrifying. In a in a locker in the in a locker bow. sitting alone on top of a gas can just smiling to himself. It kind of has a Joker like aspect about it, right? doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. say a word. I think that's more terrifying. If a guy just started screaming at me, I'd be like, "All right, at least you're like conscious or something." Well, I wonder but how like, close to death he was. Like, it doesn't really say. Just that he didn't, you know, he didn't resist arrest. Where did he get cut? Well, he was bleeding down his left arm, so it could have been anywhere in that yeah. vicinity. That's not. I don't know if that's. I don't know. Death-inducing. Anyway, I think this is a good story, Paul. I hate your ending. How dare you make me listen to your smut? I'm kidding, Paul. It was great. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, at the end, I'm just like, I, I didn't, I kind of forgot that they were like together. So yeah. I'm just like, why the hell are these two people? Oh. And so, I don't Jack, know. Jack, people who, um, I don't know if you're not a musician, you have to appreciate how much Jack does here because he is writing original music while this is ongoing um this is spontaneous he doesn't have a music score in front of him and he manages to listen enough to be able to have these incoherent conversations yes <laughs> which if we were in the reverse spots i would have nothing so well it is half the reason why in some of these cases it's just like all right i need you to explain everything to me <laughs> that's what happened on the the Amish one. Yeah. Because I'm not going to lie, that one was complicated. And it was between complicated. playing this and listening to that, I, I could not follow at times. And I was just like, all right, you got to explain everything to me. <laughs> and it didn't help that there was more than one bad guy. You know, whenever we get the ones that are more than one bad guy, it definitely amps it up a lot. Well, the story you wrote, you had the guy killing the wrong guy by accident. I mean, that wasn't exactly... I didn't make it easy either. That was not a simple one. Well, these, these stories aren't written for a guy paying half attention and also half playing. They're, they're made for people who <laughs> expect these because they've read Agatha Christie and realized that the killer could be a guy mentioned once. I you know. intentionally don't do that just to know that that's how you're going to game it. So yeah, well, also, <laughs> I game you gaming it. It helps when you're you're writing a story that's meant to be listened for these, where you want your listeners to actually be able to guess the guy. Yeah, it's more fun if they're wrong. It, I think it's more fun when I'm wrong. I get a little annoyed when I'm wrong, but um, and in some stories where I'm like, I I don't like it when it's obvious. So I'm happy. Like when I, I really just have no idea at the there's, end of it. There's a few, very few times when I'm right. Mm -hmm. There's more times when I have the right person, but for the wrong reason. I think. And the then only I, I take that as a win. I, I've guessed the right person a lot, but I think my favorite time that I guessed it right was, I forget which story this even was. Um, it was about um, someone who killed their mother-in-law. Yes. Allegra, Allegra killed her mother-in-law by putting an allergen somewhere yes. in their food. And that one, I just knew it was Allegra because I hated her name. <laughs> <laughs> I kept calling her Allegra D. Yes, that was my favorite one just because I only knew it was, I didn't even know it was her. <laughs> I just was mocking her the whole time. And then slowly it was like, there's evidence against her. <gasps> oh my God, it's Allegra. And that, that was just, that was one of my favorites because I just, I hated Allegra. <laughs> anyway, uh. Um, no, this is a good one, Paul. Um, so Paul yeah. is a chemistry teacher, a former newspaper reporter, and a naval officer. He was awarded the Bronze Star with Combat V and other decorations. I'm sorry, Paul, if I butchered that. Uh, for his service on the rivers of the Mekong Delta. Thank you for your service, Paul. His 2019 novel, West Pharaoh Island, from Permanent Press, was a finalist for the Silver Falchion Award. He is married and has eight children with his wife, the former Joni Lee. They reside in Columbia, South Carolina. 
find Paul at paulbarra, that's B-A-R-R-A dot com. Link is in the show notes. So that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by telling a mystery lover about us, subscribing, and giving us a five-star review. Make sure to go into the comment section of whatever app you're listening on or on our website and let us know what you thought about Mutt being the killer. You can check us out at tgwolf.com forward slash podcast. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. The Maven Murder was written by Paul A. Barra. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. All right, Jack, give people a little something, something to, to play with in their memory for the next two weeks until we're back. 